I won't read the entire chapter. We'll be looking at the entire chapter this morning, but I'll just read a few verses. To bring you up to speed, uh, Stephen is an up-and-coming, bright, shining star in the life of the early church, and he's been challenged by some folks um, from the synagogue of the freedmen. He's he's been brought uh, up on charges. And in chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. And then he goes on to explain and preach a sermon where he outlines much of the Old Testament. And then if you have your Bible, turn over to chapter 7, verse 51. And this is the, the end of his sermon. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, and as your fathers did, so did you. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you've now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The grass withers and the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege to meet week in and week out to study your word. And we pray that you would open it to our hearts. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful and glorious things from your word. We need your help for this. Uh, We pray that you'd be with us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Imagine for a moment that you're on a subway platform in New York City. There are people all around you, there's commotion, there are all sorts of sounds. Folks from every walk of life are there, they're trying to make it to work on time, they're trying to get home for dinner, they're trying to make that first date. And you hear in the distance music playing. And you look around and you see that there are these rough-looking dudes playing music, they're playing for tips, and you think to yourself, how bad must it be that you try to make a living by playing music in a subway station in New York City? And you hear a little bit more, and then you hear these words, I have climbed highest mountains, I have run through the fields only to be with you. You stop and you think, okay, neat, they're covering a U2 song. That guy's actually pretty good. And then you hear, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I thought about singing it, but I, I couldn't. Um, so you, uh, you forget your plans and deadlines for a moment. You stop and you listen 
And then something really interesting happens. This man that's standing off to the side takes off his sunglasses, he takes off his hoodie, he takes off the fake mustache, and it's Jimmy Fallon from The Tonight Show. And then the rest of the band members take off their disguises, and it's actually the band U2. So you're there, 10 feet away from from Bono and The Edge, and everyone takes out their, their cell phones, and they begin to record this unlikely concert, and this actually happened uh, recently. It's on the YouTube, you can find the video. And uh, they were there playing all along, and people just didn't realize that it was U2, the actual band. And uh, it may not seem obvious at first, but I think this passage, uh, this sermon that that Stephen preaches from Acts chapter 7, this section is actually about God's presence. You see, Stephen and the apostles and those early Christians, they experienced the presence of God, they experienced God's love and God's grace and God's mercy in an incredible way, in a way that actually changed their entire lives. They knew that God was with them in such a special way that it enabled them to stand in the face of persecution. They were able to stand up to the religious leaders without fear. They were able to boldly love one another in concrete ways. These early Christians knew what the presence of God was all about. But on the other hand, many others in Jerusalem, especially those deeply committed to Judaism, had forgotten what the presence of God was was all about. They'd forgotten what the presence of God looked like, what it meant. God had come in the flesh. He had come to rescue them in particular. But many of them believed that he was just some bum, like a bum trying to play music in a subway station. An imposter, a hack, a cheap imitation at best. Last week in Acts chapter 6, we saw that there were folks standing opposed to Stephen and his ministry. And as God's kingdom grew, uh, detractors also grew. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it will be until Jesus comes back. And these folks brought trumped up charges against Stephen, saying that he spoke against the holy place and he spoke against the law. And these are the people that had the promises of God. They had the word of God. They had even experienced the presence of God in some sense in their lives. But now, in this time, they missed the point. They missed the Messiah. He was right there under their noses. God was there in the flesh through Jesus. And they were more worried about their temple and their traditions than the presence of God. And the power of God. And so in Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches his sermon and he addresses some of those, uh, those issues. And this sermon is an interesting sermon. Uh, there isn't another sermon like it in the New Testament and the book of Acts. Jesus' name isn't mentioned explicitly in Acts chapter 7. There's no call explicitly to repentance in Acts chapter 7. There's this extended explanation of the Old Testament in in a way that's unlike any other. And I believe all of it points to this, this, that God has been with his people 
from the very beginning. The presence of God is, re- is real. He will be with his people no matter what. So this morning I want us to see three things. First of all, that God was with his people in the Old Testament. Secondly, that God was with his people through Stephen and those early Christians. And God is with us as well. So God was with his people in the Old Testament. You see, the folks who brought the charges against Stephen, the people that had the biggest reservations about Stephen, were the same people that had the biggest reservations about Jesus Christ and his gospel. They were people who were deeply spiritual. They were committed to their religious beliefs. They were serious. They were zealous. But they had lost sight of what the presence of God and communion with God was all about. It seems that they began to trust in the traditions and the rules to bring them fullness and happiness and fulfillment instead of trusting and resting in God himself and in his presence. And before we throw them under the bus or write people like that off, I think it might be helpful for us to think that and to remember that our lives can become so full of activities and events and noise. Our lives can become so full of things that are actually really, really good that experiencing God's presence can slowly and systematically be squeezed out of our lives. And we can feel empty, we can feel spent, we can feel anxious because we have forgotten what the presence and love of God really looks like day in and day out in our lives. So that's where we are in Acts chapter 7. One of the first things that we can see from this sermon is that God was with his people all along the way. And verses uh, 2 through 8 of Acts chapter 7, they talk about how God was with Abraham. God is with Abraham from the very beginning. And And the hearers of this sermon would have loved the fact that Stephen talked about Abraham. God is with Abraham when he was still in Mesopotamia. God is with Abraham when he was in Haran. He was with him at every stage of his life. And one of the biggest promises of God's presence to Abraham was the promise that he would bless Abraham's descendants after him. And even gave him the the sign of of circumcision, a covenant to help him remember that God was with him and God would be with his people throughout the generations. God is also with his people in Joseph's day. That's what verses 9 through 16 in the passage talk about. God took care of his people by delivering them through Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? He was sold into slavery by his own brothers and eventually he was the person by God's mercy, who ended up saving his entire family from starving to death. God was with his people through Joseph in the most unlikely way and through the most unlikely people. God saved his people. He was with them. But the bulk of Stephen's sermon, I encourage you to, this afternoon to read it. The bulk of his sermon has to do with how God was with his people in Moses' day. How God was with his people through Moses. And verses 17 through 43 walk through the reality that God was with them even when they were slaves in Egypt. Even when they were slaves in Egypt, they grew, they multiplied, they blossomed, 
And we read it several places in the Bible that God did not forget about them. He was with them in delivering them out of Egypt through the Exodus with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He brought them through dry land in the middle of the Red Sea. God was with them when he met them at Mount Sinai in in Exodus chapter 20 and beyond. He was with them through Joshua and Caleb, David and Solomon. He was with them in the tent of meeting in the wilderness. God was with them every step of the way. But there's also another theme that we see from this passage and this sermon is that God was with his people even though many folks rejected him. God was with his people even when many rejected him. And this is part of the the beauty and genius of Stephen's sermon. He begins to drop subtle hints at the fact that just like your father's You have rejected the person that was sent by God to deliver you. And so we see it in verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into slavery. There's this theme that large cross-sections of the people of God actually rejecting him and his leaders in the Old Testament. And that theme develops with Moses. Remember when he was around 40 years old, he was raised in Pharaoh's house, and he came to, to be with his people, to, to be with the, the Jewish people, and he was trying to stand up for them, and they didn't understand what was going on. Verse 25 says it like this, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand Then in verse 35, it says this, This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him at the burning bush. You see, Moses was a ruler and redeemer, and those words should sound familiar. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached... And he said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. And Moses said it himself, God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. And all of those things were pointing to the Messiah, to Jesus himself. uh, Stephen goes on to highlight how God's people rejected him when... They received the law. Remember, God met with them on the mountain, and Moses went up on the mountain, and he spent what they thought was too much time with God. And they wondered if he was going to come back. So they decided that they would take matters into their own hands. They would forge a golden calf, and God's people committed spiritual and physical adultery as they worshipped this calf right after God had given them his law. And then I think in one of the most uh, striking statements, in verse 43 it says this, You took up the tent of Moloch. You worshipped at the tent of a false god, part of whose worship was child sacrifice, even though, verse 44 says, that our fathers had the tent of witness. They had 
the tabernacle in the wilderness. So God was with his people all along the way. And he was with his people even though big chunks of them disobeyed him. And here's the bottom line. The people of Israel had consistently forgotten what the presence of God was all about. They rejected him. They rejected his representatives. And that's exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter 7. They were rejecting Stephen. And that's why the sermon ends with such strong words in verses 51 through 53. Where he basically says, like father, like son. This is the same song, a different verse. Verse 52 says, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom now you have betrayed and murdered. So basically Stephen is saying, just like people rejected God in the Old Testament, you folks have rejected God as well. Stephen is almost building his case, kind of like the Old Testament prophets did. And it's important for us to remember that there's really one thing that separated Stephen and those early Christians and the folks that heard this message. There was one thing that separated those, those Old Testament followers of God who actually listened to his voice and the other crew that, that disobeyed him and rejected him. There was really one thing. It was repentance. It's a willingness to admit to God and to others, not just once, but as a pattern of life, that we desperately need the grace and mercy of God. That same thing is true today. What is it that is the X factor in Christianity? Is it that we're all really nice people? That we have all the answers? That we never fight with our spouses, never have trouble with our children? Uh, the answer is no. We should all raise our hand. Uh, the difference is that we, we know how much we need God's help. That was the difference. Stephen, uh, his name is Greek, and he may have actually been from this synagogue, but he had become a Christian because he saw and recognized how much he needed Jesus Christ. What makes Christianity special is it gives us the freedom to admit that we can't do life on our own. That we need God's help, we need His mercy, we need His grace every step of the way. I think that was the key to Stephen's and those early Christians truly experiencing God. And the second thing I want to see this morning is that God was with Stephen and those early Christians. And, I mean, it's by way of contrast, right? I mean, we know that God is with Stephen not just because... Uh, We read about it in chapter 6, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, that he was full of grace and truth. Uh, Not that, not only because when they looked at him, his face looked like the face of an angel. We know that God was with Stephen, not simply because he preached this incredible, timely, and powerful sermon. We know that God is with Stephen because of what happens 
in verses 54 through 60. I think what we see here is one of the greatest demonstrations of God's approval, God's love, God saying, I'm with you, I'm behind you. It's one of the greatest demonstrations of that in the entire Bible. In the face of the rage of verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And it literally means their hearts were ripped in two. They were so angry that he had said these things about them and their fathers that they ground their teeth. They were filled with rage. And what did Stephen see? All their faces? Was he just terrified? No. He saw heaven opened up. And he saw the glory of God and Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Jesus was standing in approval. He was standing as Stephen's advocate. As Stephen's spokesman, as his representative, Stephen knew the personal, intimate, loving communion of God through Jesus Christ. And he saw the glory and majesty of God for him, loving approval and acceptance for him. And that enabled him to endure with incredible dignity, supernatural dignity and poise, the things that were about to happen to him. These people were so angry that they covered their ears, that they rushed him, that they seized him, they took him out of the city, and they threw large stones at his head to murder him. And what was it that was going through Stephen's mind? What was it that he knew and he saw? Well, he knew that Jesus was standing for him. He was given the freedom and the courage to simply commit his spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And as he was parting the world, as he was about to die, what was the last thing that went through his mind? It wasn't terror or fear or, oh no, what's going to happen to me? He couldn't stop thinking about the forgiveness of the sins that he had received from Jesus Christ. And so he thought, don't hold this sin against them. Basically, Jesus, forgive them just like you forgave me. And then he fell asleep. He died and he was immediately in the arms of his loving Savior. Let's think about it for a minute. Stephen, Philip, Mary and Martha, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, Peter, James, John, Levi the tax collector, blind Bartimaeus, the thousands of people who responded to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. What did they know? They all knew and experienced the presence of God in a powerful and life-changing way because they experienced the presence of God through Jesus Christ. That is at the heart of the Christian faith. That's the heart of the gospel message is that we can have joy and life and we can have the presence of God through Jesus. The folks that opposed Stephen and the apostles, they were caught up with the venue, the temple. 
They were caught up with the venue and the temple when God was in their midst, walking among them. They were more worried about the building. There's some pretty amazing venues for uh, concerts and plays and things like that around uh, the Ryman in Nashville, the Sanger Theater in New Orleans, Radio City Music Hall, the Kennedy Center in D.C. Those are incredible places. But what is it that gives them life? What is it that makes them special? Is it the wood or the bricks or the seats? No. It's all the people that have played there. The performances, the legends that have played in those places. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's the Redeemer, the Savior, the Promised One. He gave Stephen and those early Christians life. He gave them himself, his life for their life, his death for their death. And it's really interesting, I already mentioned it in verse 54, it says that their hearts were torn in two. Their hearts were cut in two with anger. And in Acts chapter 2 verse 37 it says this, after the people heard Peter preach, they were cut to the heart. But they were cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit. The Acts 2 version is the kind of broken heart that leads to healing and life from Jesus Christ. And just because someone hates Jesus, someone is enraged with his followers at one point in his or her life, it doesn't mean that things cannot change. God can change people's hearts. He can change people's lives. Look at verse 58 with me. The witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was the ringleader. Saul was essentially signing off on Stephen's death sentence. Next week we'll see how his anger and hatred for Christianity and Jesus Christ, it burned. But God wasn't finished working. Just because you don't see immediate results when you try to tell people about Jesus Christ, when you try to show folks about the love of God and how it's different, Don't give up. You know, I bet you there are dozens of people in this room who at one point in their life didn't want anything to do with God. Who thought that following God was just absurd. And now they'd say, the most important thing in my life is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God was with Stephen and those early Christians. The last thing I want us to see is that God's with us. Part of the beauty and glory of the Christian message is that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't leave us like orphans. He didn't abandon us. He didn't forget about us. He didn't leave us alone. The Bible says that he is with us. In fact, it may be hard to believe, but he told his disciples and he told us, it's better for you that I go 
Then the Holy Spirit will come to you. I know some of you may have thought this before. Some people have said it, maybe you've thought it. If I could have just been there with Jesus, seen him preach, and see him heal those folks, my life would be so much better. I wouldn't have the same doubts and questions that I have now. What's incredible is through the Holy Spirit living with believers, we have it better. We have God's presence with us in a personal and powerful way at all times. Not only are we united to Jesus Christ by faith, but we have the Holy Spirit who lives in in us and among us. And yes, the, the heavens have not been opened to you and you haven't seen God standing, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. But we do have the promises of God and God's word. We do have the promise that he's not ashamed to call us sisters and brothers. That Jesus Christ is not ashamed to stand up before heaven and say... She's with me. He's with me. We have these promises from God. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with those who are contrite of heart and lowly in spirit. We have the promise of God that he will draw near to us if we draw near to him. That a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax He will not snuff out. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. What can separate us from the love of God? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is for us in Christ Jesus. God is with us. God is with us when we learn to trust and follow him. God is with us when we celebrate the greatest joys in life and we learn to acknowledge him as the giver of every good and perfect gift. He's with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He's a good shepherd who leads us every step of the way. He's with us as we battle with ourselves and with our sins. And as we learn at different stages in our lives that we need him more than we ever thought but that he's more powerful and loving and stronger than we ever imagined. God is with us when things are difficult at home, when work isn't going great, when we're not sure what to do with our children. He's with us through the monotony of life. He's there when we think we have all the answers, and he's there when we come to him in repentance and say, Lord, I need your help. I can't run my life. God's with us when we've cried more tears than we thought were possible. And he bottles up those tears, and he himself wipes the tears from our eyes. Sometimes we doubt it. Sometimes we question whether God is really there. Sometimes we we run away from him. God is with us in and through Jesus Christ. I want you to think for a moment of the greatest hopes and dreams and goals and aspirations that you have. Maybe uh, it's to make more money or have a more fulfilling job. Maybe you want a perfect house or you want to travel the world so you can have the most incredible adventures. Maybe you want to just kind of peace out and chill the rest of your life. 
And if we were able to put all of our honorable aspirations and the not-so-honorable ones together and kind of uh, weigh them against this reality, that the everlasting, eternal, almighty God of the universe has moved toward us. He's paved the way for us to have fellowship with Him life-changing, personal, intimate presence and fellowship with God. What else could we possibly ask for? What higher dream or aspiration could there possibly be? Remember Asaph's words from Psalm 73? Whom have I in heaven besides you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. Remember David's words from Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land. I looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. I will praise you with my lips. I've used this illustration before. It's such a good illustration. I'm going to keep using it. Um, John Wesley on his deathbed was... uh, slowly passing from this world. His friends and family came around and he was able, in the weakness of his flesh, to tell them farewell, farewell. And right before he died, he raised his hand in victory. And he said, the best thing of all, God is with us. And again, the best thing of all, God is with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've been with us in the past. You're with us today. You'll be with us in the future. Calm our fears. Quiet our hearts as we wonder sometimes whether you're here, whether you love us, whether you care. We know that you do. Give us faith to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen.